Okay, there you go. If you have questions about it, ask Stacy in the back um, or Daryl. He will probably be out here at some point. Um, all right, and then the Passover Seder meal is coming. Don't do it. Uh, the Passover Seder meal is coming on April 1st, and we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, as we come up to this time of um, uh, Passover, uh, this time of Easter, uh, it is that we remember what Jesus did for us so that we could have our salvation. The, the Passover celebration for the Jews was a remembrance of what God did for them so that they could be saved from Egypt. And think about, think about it this way. I was just thinking about this. They celebrated. In, in fact, they continued to celebrate. Jews continued to celebrate this saving power of God on the night of Passover when he literally passed over their homes and spared their lives and their livestock lives and then took them out of slavery into the promised land. And then they were in the desert wandering for 40 years. And yet they held on to that celebration of Passover that God brought salvation. We have something that is so much greater than that. We have salvation of our very souls, our very lives into eternal life. And that is what we celebrate. So we would love for you to join us on this potluck. We are Methodist. It is only right that we do potluck dinner um, Sunday, April 1st. You can sign up in the back and you can ask myself or Stacy uh, as well about uh, questions that you might have uh, for that. Uh, all right. So uh, there, there is anybody like to read books, book readers, anybody like to read uh, like uh, like story books, like things that aren't true uh, fiction uh, type things uh, is the word I'm looking for. See, I don't use high dollar words. I'm telling you, I don't know these things. Um, yeah. Uh, anybody movie people. The rest of you should probably raise your hands because you don't read books. You go, well, one day it will be a movie, so I'll just watch that. Yeah. OK. Not many movie. Really? Do y'all just not want to raise your hands today? Are you just being ornery? Stay ornery, my friends. Um, yeah, okay, so there, there are these, there are book people, there are movie people. I happen to be one of both. Um, I like to read. I don't, I, I go through spurts where I just consume a vast amount of literature, um, things that don't pertain to my job, things that when other pastors, you know, like, you're reading that? <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, um, it's cool. Uh, you know, I like to read spy novels. I like to read thrillers. I like to read uh, Horatio Hornblower. Anybody know Horatio? Of course you do, Snyder. Um, yeah, Horatio Hornblower. Love it. I have read through, there, I think there's 12 of them. I have read through all 12 um, at least thrice. Um, why? I don't know. They're easy to read and they're fun. It's swashbuckling kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, so I like to do this stuff because it kind of transports you and takes you into another place. I love movies. Love to watch movies. I love to watch old movies. This drives Jenna nuts. The blacker, the whiter, the better for me. You know, the, the worst photography, cinematography. I like it. I dig it. These are, these are stories you can get into that aren't horrendously obscene as they are today. And, and it still has the, it's really the same story. They just tell it in a better way. Um, and so I, I love watching these old movies. I love, um, Cary Grant. I, I love that, that lineage. And, and then I break out into other things. And so I, I watch random movies. Anybody ever seen the Iger Sanctions? Once again, Snyder and Magoon. Okay, all the doctors in the room. Apparently, are, I'm right on with the doctors. Good. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, the, the Iger Sanction is this Clint Eastwood, George Kennedy movie. And it was a, a, a spy thriller. Um, when it first came out in 1974, a very good year, um, they said that it was a, a James Bond reject. Didn't get very good press. Uh, so it's not a great movie, but I've watched it 
now three times. It was on the other night, and Jenna's like, we are not watching this. We are watching American Idol. And so I recorded it, and I've since gone back to watch it. It's this great movie about the Iger Mountains, uh, or Iger Peak in Switzerland. Clint Eastwood is a spy. He climbs up it. There's all this intrigue and everything. But the thing that always strikes me is the beauty of this, um, of this mountain. Just this, the, the peak that sometimes there's a beautiful hotel at the bottom of it where people watch and sit out on this deck and they have um, telescopes to look at the climbers who spend days climbing up the, the rock face of this, um, of this peak and, and the beauty of it. And it can, like any mountain peak, be there and then be gone in an instant by clouds because it is so high. And I just love this movie. And so when I'm preparing for this, don't worry, I'm getting there. Um, when I'm preparing for this today, uh, I'm reading all the different sources that I read and I'm, and I'm doing all my studies and everything. And, and still, you might know that I've been heavily influenced by Eugene Peterson recently. And, um, and he, his voice is still, his little old grandpa voice from Montana is still in my uh, back of my head at all times. And so when I'm reading N.T. Wright's um, survey of chapter 26, the beginning of chapter 26, he starts talking about the Iger Peak. And I'm like, yes, I know that. I know where it is. And he talks about climbing it and, and the great magnitude. You come through these beautiful valleys of Switzerland and you stand at this imposing structure. And he says, this is exactly what's happening in chapter 26. And I'm like, what? They're not climbing any mountains. You know, there's like a couple of dinners. There's some perfume spilled. There's some intrigue. And, and then as I read through what he's saying, Eugene Peterson is yelling in the back of my head once again. It's a story. It's a true story. But it's a story. And so often we forget that. So often we forget that the text is this beautiful story that God gave us. He said, immerse yourself in this. Become lost in the words that I've given you. Listen to the stories of what happened to Daniel and to Jonah. And, and, and here's the story of David and this amazing things that happened. And, and here's Jesus and, and the path of his life. And, and read the stories. Don't just dissect them, but live in them. Place yourself in them. And here's the story of the early church and and of Peter, and of Paul, and James, and John. And if we, if we look at it too much as a scientific book, and look, I do that all the time. And I do that in here, and I'm like, let's break down the Greek word. What does that mean? If we do that so much, and we forget that this is a story, I think we miss some of the power of the words of God. So a few weeks ago, during one of the parables, I kind of just talked about it, and then I left you and said, place yourself in this. Become a part of the story. Now, the way that most scholars will talk about chapter 26 is this is, this, this is the beginning of the end. This is the climax of Matthew's story. You have been going through the birth of Jesus, a little bit of his early years, and then the ministry of Jesus. And you come to this moment where this is where all of that is about, right here. This is the beginning of it. If you've been reading this story straight through, if you have been watching this movie straight through and you get to this point, you're on the edge of your seat now. 
because so much has been building to this moment. We've just left this last group of teachings where Jesus, the Messiah, has been hammering on the religious institutions of the day. I mean, straight out in public, just going nuts on them. And, and the disciples are like, yeah, you're, you're the Messiah. And they keep going back to that. We want you to be this military political leader who's going to come in and take Jerusalem back. Who's going to bring us back into power. And, and they're going back and forth between Jesus going, no, this is the way. And all of these people come, keep coming in and going, no, no, but you're this kind of Messiah. And all of this building. And you, then you leave, especially chapter 25, where he's just, or 24, where he's just really just like, wham. Just knocking it to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and all of these groups, different sects of Jews that are destroying God's kingdom, essentially. And you kind of feel this movement, this buildup. The disciples are like, dude, we're going into Jerusalem. Here we go. You know, he has no fear. He's saying these things in front of the very people who have the religious power, the power to arrest him, the power to have him killed. And he has no fear. You sense this movement, the disciples going, yeah. Just flexing every muscle they have and just bowing up to any Pharisee around what, you know, type thing. See a Pharisee walking around and go, what, one piece? Yeah. And this sense of just this, this movement. But then we get to 26. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the, the Passover celebration begins in two days. And I... The Son of Man will be betrayed and crucified. What? What? Wait. <laughs> what? But move with the story that Matthew's telling. At that same time, the leading priests and other leaders were meeting at the residence of Caiaphas, the high priest, to discuss how to capture Jesus secretly and put him to death. But not during the Passover, they agreed, or there will be a riot. Meanwhile... Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had leprosy. During supper, a woman came in with a beautiful jar of expensive perfume and poured it over his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this. What a waste of money, they said. She could have sold it for a fortune and given the money to the poor. But Jesus replied, why berate her for doing such a thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but I will not be here with you much longer. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I assure you, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be talked about in her memory. See, what N.T. Wright suggests is that as you walk through these beautiful valleys, getting up to this Iger mountain, this, this peak, um, that you don't expect it to be so like you come up and it's like, Foom. he says, this is what's happening in Matthew. You're kind of walking along and then all of a sudden it's like, wham. And one of the things he actually suggests is to sit down and read the last few chapters in one setting to get the full experience. He says, go into a room, shut the door, sit there, do not be interrupted, and immerse yourself in the story of the crucifixion, the betrayal, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it's amazing stuff. You come out of this beautiful valley and then wham. And sometimes we try to understand and sometimes we try, uh, when, when the peak disappears, he says, and in the, in the mist, 
It doesn't change the fact that the peak is still there. Sometimes we try to dissect the gospel story so much. These last few chapters, the death and the resurrection of Christ, we try to to make sense of it all. And and that's great, but sometimes you just got to climb and be there. So you have this story of of Jesus, and I love just the back and forth. Jesus is like, hey, it's about to be Passover. I'm going to be betrayed, handed over, crucified. And then you shift lenses, and the next scene is um, Caiaphas, the high priest. Joseph Caiaphas was his name. And and, um, a little interesting fact about Joseph Caiaphas is um, the chief priest at the time. um, Before, it was a hereditary thing. It was passed from um, one uh, father to son, um, it was in the same line, and it would go for their life until they died, and then the next would take over. When the Romans came, uh, they decided that that was too much power for one person to have, and so they made it um, at their whim. Um, they would, uh, the chief priest would be at the um, at the leisure of of the emperor, and so when things got out of hand and the emperor was no longer happy with the chief priest, gone. Joseph Caiaphas was there for an extraordinarily long amount of time, which tells us uh, from um, 18 to 36, which tells us that he was very adept at playing the game. He was very smart about how to keep the emperor in Rome happy. You see what he says there. Let's get him. It's Passover. He's like, whoa, there's going to be like 2.8 million people in Jerusalem, guys. A lot of them will be from Galilee. A lot of them follow Jesus. This is a bad idea. And you see the plotting and scheming going on. And then scene change over to Jesus and the disciples. And they're in Simon the leper's house. And they're seated to have a meal. And here comes this unnamed woman, at least in Matthew's story. And she does something extraordinary. She anoints him. Now, it would have been typical for Jewish women to wear around their neck a little alabaster jar full of perfume. And a lot of times it would be an expensive perfume. In some interpretations of this story, it talks about being 300 denarius um, worth of perfume, which would have been um, a year's wages, a lot of money. If you remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000, it's Philip who says it would take 200 denarius to feed all of these people. So it was more money than would have sufficed to feed 5,000 people in this little jar. And she breaks it open and she anoints his head. Now there's a few things going on here. And then the disciples all freak out. A lot of times um, it's pointed as Judas is the one who freaks out. And Matthew says the disciples, they all do. What an extravagant waste of money, they say. And Jesus is like, who? Man. This is a very typical rabbinic saying that he says right there. You will always have the poor with you. Rabbis would always say that. The poor will always be here so that we can share good works with them. So that we can show God's love to them. He says, but I will not always be here. This is his anointing for his burial. Or if you remember when the ladies go to anoint him later in the tomb, the thing that was the custom to do, he was gone. The pre-anointing, I guess, for his burial. Where are you in this? Where are you in this story? You have a few different characters. 
And in, in the rest of the chapter and in 27, there's a whole lot of different characters that come up in this story. A whole lot of different people that are just there for a moment. But where do you find yourself here? The, the Pharisees, the, the chief priest, they were so concerned with their political desire and drive that they were plotting to kill this man who never hurt anyone. They were so consumed with their selfish ambition that they were willing to step on others. They were willing to do anything to get their way. Have you ever found yourself looking at that person in the mirror? That you're so consumed with your selfish ambition, wherever it was, at the office, at home, wherever, that you're willing to push others aside in order to find it. Have you ever been in the position of the unnamed woman? So lost in devotion to God that this extravagant love, this, this word that I threw out last week at the 11 o'clock service, this, this extravagant love was just so great that it, that was all she had and yet it wasn't enough for her. And the rest of the world looks on and says, what are you doing? But this love is so great and deep and amazing that it's just like, I don't care. It's almost the two opposite sides right there, isn't it? The Pharisees who are looking out only for themselves and this woman who's just giving it all. We're leading up to the end of Lent. And I asked early on how many of you had given something up for Lent, and I think it was like three of you. Um, I won't ask those three of you or four or five if you've continued to do that. Um, Lent a lot of times, um, especially in, in our service, because we, we're not very liturgical and follow the calendar as much. We don't focus on it. We don't veil things in here as they do other places or, or where the purple stoles um, and so sometimes the significance of, of these moments in between um, are lost in this time of reflection. Where am I with God? So we, we have a couple of weeks left. Or one week. No, two weeks left for you, sir. Um, and during that time, what I would encourage you to do is to find the story of God again and to find your place in it. I'm not telling you to go back and read the entire um, book of Matthew. It's taken us two and a half years to get through it, so I don't expect you in two weeks. Just kidding, to read it. Um, but take on these last couple of chapters. Do what N.T. Wright suggests and, and come out of that valley, this green, beautiful valley, and find yourself straight at the bottom of this massive peak and lose your... Don't read it and go, hmm, what did I learn from this? Let me, let me go back and re-reference what John says about this or what it says in Mark. Let me find the Greek... Don't do that. Read it as a love story. Read it as something to lose yourself in and to find your place in. 
Read it as something that is life-changing, that is the story of extravagant love of a man who didn't have anything but his life, and so he gave it. And that wasn't enough, so he came back. And he went to heaven and said, I will be back for you. Wow. That's a story. That's a story that sometimes gets lost in interpretation and examination. Over the next two weeks, read it. Reread it. Shut your phone off. Turn off the television. Go somewhere into your prayer closet if you want to call it that. Go somewhere where you're quiet. If you're crazy and you can do it in Starbucks, great. Go somewhere and find yourself in this story. Read this story. Learn about what it means to not read the Bible in a way that, okay, I've checked off these pages. I do the, this, um, I have this book of common prayer. Um, it's a, not the Episcopal one. It's a different kind of radical one that uh, Ryan Jacobson gave me for Christmas last year. And I've been doing this every morning, reading through this prescripted liturgy um, every morning. And it has uh, a reading from the song, has a bunch of prayers, has a hymn. I'm not going to lie to you, I don't do the hymns by myself in the morning at 6 o'clock in my house. You know, all right, everybody get up. Um, no, um, uh, it has a reading from the Psalms. It has a reading from the Old Testament, reading from the New Testament. And I go through these prescribed things. And, and a lot of times, Jen will ask me, well, what, what did you, you know, get out of it this morning? I'm like, <laughs> I barely was awake, you know. I barely stayed awake. But, it, you know, for me, it's this, um, I'm, I don't know, it's like I'm trying to run 10 miles in two, three weeks. April 15th, yeah, 10 miles. I'm trying to run it um, on April 15th. Um, at one time, by the way, not like, um, you know, from here to then. And so I'm trying to build up strength in order to do that, in order not to be carried off on a stretcher. And, um, and so this is kind of my way to reinvigorate my biblical um, God knowledge is to get into this thing. And sometimes those are good moments to get those spiritual disciplines and to work out your faith muscle but that's not what I want you to do. What I want you to do is just be. Just be there. Now, there's a lot we could take from this first chunk of Matthew 26 and break it down. And there's a significant thing that Jesus says at the end there. The poor will always be with you, but I will not. And there is what that says about the, the, the movement of Christianity in this world and what we should be doing to interact with the poor here today. There's a significant statement that, that Jesus makes throughout all of this. But what I want you to do is just to be there. Just to read it and be there. Come out of the valley, face that peak, and start climbing. And when you get to the top, the view that you will experience will be breathtaking. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the beauty of your words. The access that you have given us to this story. A story of love. Love so great. So amazing. God, I pray that in these next couple of weeks, we all would have um, 
those moments to step away from our ordinary lives and to find ourselves in this beautiful narrative, this beautiful story of creation, of, of fall, of redemption, of restoration. God, we thank you and praise you.